welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's uh, actually a beautiful day, but a little chilly day. It's good to be indoors with you all and those of you joining us online as well. Um, As we continue our Isaiah series, we've been seeing these links between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Last week, I focused primarily on the book of Isaiah and showed some connections to the gospel uh, of Luke. And this week, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to give some hints at the book of Isaiah and spend more time in the gospel of Luke. And so we're going to do this. First, we're going to talk about how the Christ child came. He was born of a virgin, and he came in a surprising and these humble circumstances. And then I'm going to discuss actually four ways, four reasons why the Christ child came. But first, what I want to do, I want to pause um, the season of inevitable busyness, right? Uh, You hear Santa, we see the pictures, and we think Santa and go, hear him say, ho, 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 right? And that means it's time to go, 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 because we haven't bought Christmas gifts yet, right? So... It's a stressful time. There's a lot of things going on. And you know what we need to hear today, most importantly, is slow, slow, slow. Let's just slow down and see what the Lord has for us today, that he might have a word for us. I want to mention this word from Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Maybe someone here today needs to hear that invitation from the Lord. Come and drink and eat of good drink and food from me. He's here for those who are weary. So would you join me in a quick prayer? Lord, we offer you this time, these next minutes as we come before your word. Would you reveal something in us, Lord, Show us the places where we are longing for you. Show us the places, Lord, where we have diverted from you. Lord, help us to pay attention to your voice as we slow down. We come to you, Lord, with expectation today. In your name we pray. Amen. The Apostles' Creed, we say this once a month as a church together. It affirms what Luke chapter 1, verse 43 says, what Matthew 1, verse 22 says, And it says that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Now, a little note here. As this uh, gets predicted in the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter 7, which we read, the note would be this, that the earliest Christians didn't make up this detail. They weren't trying to make their job harder, right? They had to convince people, first of all, that tell the story that Jesus, this this uh, regular Jewish carpenter was actually the son of God, that he died, and then he rose again from the dead. It wasn't like they needed more difficult things to add to the gospel story. Does that make sense? They weren't trying to make uh, even more unbelievable things. So the most likely reality is that Jesus was just truly born of the Virgin Mary, that Mary passed on this truth to the earliest gospel writers. And then they searched the scriptures to see, was there anywhere in the Hebrew scriptures that predicted this reality? And they found the Isaiah scroll. And they found in chapter 7 that this obscure prediction that there would be a miraculous birth from a virgin. And so let me ask you this. If you can believe as a Christian that Christ resurrected from the dead, 
it actually isn't that much further to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. It's a miracle story through and through. And so most likely what we see is that the New Testament writers weren't trying to make the gospel even more incredibly crazy sounding. They were simply reporting that which was true. And they found an Old Testament link to the Advent story. They're telling the truth about the graciousness of God, telling the truth about the birth of Christ from a Virgin Mary, telling the truth about God sending his own son and Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, for my sin, and the truth that Jesus rose from the grave and the truth that Jesus is coming again. That's the most likely scenario. But some of the details about Jesus's humble birth, I think we've gotten a little bit wrong. So take a look at Luke 2. We're going to be in here for a bit starting in verse 4. We just read this, but if you remember the story, people interpret this section something like this. Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem. You may even imagine it's a cold winter evening, right? Maybe you even see some flecks of snow, right, in your mind. And suddenly, as they're traveling to Bethlehem, she has birth pangs. Is this sounding familiar? So Joseph is rushing around. He goes to the local inn, the hotel. There's no room at the inn, but they find some place. Someone is kind enough. Maybe the innkeeper or someone else lets them stay in the barn. Or maybe some people think it's a cave, right? So I want you to think about that story, right? And I want you just to pause. And first of all, take a look at Luke 2, verse 8. This is the shepherd story. It says, and in that same region, this is after the birth, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. Okay, so it is nighttime, so that part maybe is correct. But if you see that the shepherds are in the fields, actually there's some uh, studies that show that these shepherds were likely going to be in the fields where there were harvests, and the harvest is empty, so this is just after harvest time. So this possibly actually might be more like early fall. Okay, you following me so far? So Jesus may not have been born in December. Am I hurting anyone's feelings so far? Anyone's heart just broken? You're really mad at me? Send me an email. Okay, so Jesus maybe wasn't born in December, okay? Could have been early fall, just, just a theory. Okay, so you have shepherds in the fields, which by the way, too, if they're sleeping in the fields, it's probably a little bit warmer, and it's maybe a little bit warmer late summer, early fall than in December where it does get colder and wetter. Okay, so that's one little uh, hint there. So, verse 6, take a look at this. And then it says, And while they, Mary and Joseph, were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, the language there is basically saying something like, she was, she was in the full-term pregnancy. This is a full 40 weeks pregnancy, not an early birth, okay? And so, there are some people who think, a couple things, that as Jesus is being born in Bethlehem, we assume it was the night that Mary and Joseph were traveling there. But actually, what we see in the wording there, it says that they were there for this time, keeping up, giving birth in this time. And that actually means while they were there, it implies not just the night of, but days that they were there. Some people think even weeks that they were there. So Joseph, this new dad, wasn't some idiot, right? 
Like as she's full term, right, ready, feeling maybe birth pangs ready to burst. Oh, let's get on a donkey and let's walk three or four or five days, Mary. That's what we think of. Is Joseph really going to do that? They could have been there for days, maybe even weeks in Bethlehem. Okay, another little note. Joseph is from the lineage of David, King David. When he returns to the home village, it would have been a big deal. He likely would not have been turned away by anyone, okay? He would have been welcomed by a, a numerous different second and third or fourth cousins to stay somewhere in the area. Okay, let's keep going. Typically, if this was a place uh, in a Middle Eastern home, they kept the animals inside. Now, the reason why they kept animals inside in a house, not in a barn, was actually because they could stay warm if it was in the colder time. But especially, too, it actually was a natural way for the home to have heat. So I've done this when I've traveled the world on mission trips. I've stayed in homes, and you walk right in, and there are the pigs, and there are the chickens, and, right? It helps keep the animals safe in the cold times. It helps keep the house warm, okay? Let me give you a little bit more evidence here. Verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now for us, Western mindset, well, where are mangers? Well, it's in the barn, right? But where did Middle Eastern homes keep mangers? In their house, because that's where they kept animals. And in fact, the word used for inn is a Greek word. It's kataluma. You may have heard this before. Kataluma is a Greek word. There's actually another word for more of an inn, a hotel that Luke doesn't use. This word kataluma means guest room. There's no room for Mary and Joseph in the kataluma, in the guest room, in the house, not the barn. It's the same word that Jesus, that's used to describe Jesus' last supper in Luke 22, verse 11. Jesus did not have his last supper in a barn, he did not have his last supper in a hotel. Jesus had his last supper in a kataluma, in a guest room, not in a lodge, but in a, someone's private home. Usually it's an upstairs room. And in fact, the word for in kataluma, there's a picture. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you to put the picture up, did I? Put the picture up. Uh, the architect did this. And, but you'd see you enter into a Middle Eastern home, and at the bottom level is where they keep the animals, and then you take these steps up into a flat area. It's the living room, what we'd call a living room. And then to get to the kataluma, the guest room, you take these other steps up to this bigger space. That's somewhere where like Jesus would have the Last Supper. And so I want you to think of this, that the inn is really a kataluma, an upstairs guest area of a private home, a modest private home. And so that means Jesus wasn't born in a barn or a cave, as some people think, he was likely born in a modest Middle Eastern home where animals are normally kept in the entryway, and mangers are built into that second level of the living room. You can see that even today in a Middle Eastern home, in a modest village home where they have animals, because they can just reach up and feed right there. It would be on the second level, it's your floor level, the living room, ends up being a spot for the animals to eat. And so the real Christmas story goes like this. 
Joseph and Mary arrive in Bethlehem days, maybe even weeks before the birth of Jesus happens. Perhaps it's late summer when they arrive. They find shelter with the family friend, some kind of relative, because Joseph is a son of David, King David. He's not going to be turned away. But the separate guest room, the kataluma, is full, maybe because of the census that was taken, for whatever reason. So they're staying not in the upstairs guest room, but in the floor-level living room, which is just above where the animals stay in the entryway. And maybe the animals aren't even indoors this time of season because it's warm outside. So maybe there's not even animals in there, but the mangers are still there because they're built into the floor. And so Jesus is born in a living room. Now I want you all to go home and take your nativity sets and throw them away. And I want you to put in like an Ikea living room set, a little mini Ikea set to remind you that Jesus was born in a living room. No, I'm not saying that. Don't email me. Don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to give you, that's what the Bible is actually saying. Jesus was born in humble, modest accommodations. Maybe there were animals there. He certainly was laid in a manger. And that's important because the angels told the shepherds, there'll be a sign for you. This great king who is coming is actually not going to be born in a palace. It's going to be right in the front entryway in the little village of Bethlehem, right when you open the door. And you'll know because the baby's going to be placed where the animals usually eat. That's why the manger detail is so important. That's how the Christ child came. He came humbly. He came surprisingly to us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we've talked about a couple different ways how Christ came. Now I want to talk about four observations of why the Christ child came. First of all, why the Christ child came? He came near so we could come near. Secondly, the Christ child came so we could experience joy. Thirdly, the Christ child came so that God's own joy would grow. And then lastly, Christ child came so that we could share in God's joy. So first thing, Christ came near so we could come near. In Luke 2, I'm going to just read this whole section about the shepherds and the angels. Verse 8, listen to this story. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
The joy of the angels sparked a response in these shepherds to come near to Jesus. God comes near and the shepherds want to come near to the Christ child. See, when you get a glimpse of God, he expects us to follow through and to seek him out further, to keep going further in. And see, when you find him, you're going to realize he's been patiently seeking you. He's been waiting for you. As he reaches out to you, he's looking for you to reach back. He comes near, and then you come near. See, this is how the good news works. It demands a response. God initiates, and we respond. Let me ask you for you, are you responding to God's initiation in your life? Are you responding to God reaching out to you? Are you living in response to this good news of great joy found in Jesus Christ alone? In fact, bottom line, have you embraced this belief that it's only in Jesus that you can have this kind of joy that the angels are pointing to? Christ came near so that you could come near. Secondly, Christ came near for your joy. Again, we look at that verse 10. We can see this is a pronouncement of joy. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, as the angels announce the arrival of Jesus, this joy is contagious. But here's the reality. Not everyone that we see walking around the shopping mall or driving around town, they're not all seeking this unending joy in Jesus. See, our culture is attempting to manufacture and market joy to you. They're telling you, if you buy this product, you will have joy. You buy this Lexus and put a bow on it, your family member will have incredible joy, which are probably kind of true. <laughs> but lasting joy that's in Jesus, I see commercials are, uh, as I'm surfing you know, the internet, I'm on Google search, uh, the joy that's promised through the certain shampoo that will stop receding hairlines. Joy for my head is available. What are you being offered? If I just had that, I could have joy. And the Christ child reminds us there's only one way to really have lasting joy. Isaiah promises true and lasting joy. Isaiah 9.6, listen to these words. For this Christ child to come will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Oh, that's not a car. That's not a product. That's not shampoo. That's not even your best friend coming to visit you, as wonderful as that will be this Christmas. Oh, you need something bigger and more lasting, an everlasting father. You need something more wonderful, a wonderful so you need a peace that goes deeper than anyone can even see, a prince of peace. You need someone big enough and strong enough to overwhelm all the sin and emptiness in our lives and almighty God. And Isaiah predicts that the Christ child to come will be all of this. And that's the joy that you and I need. Do you know this true, lasting joy that resides in those who have given their life to Christ. Or maybe simply you have done this, you've just forgotten. That's where the true and lasting joy comes from. Are you simply settling for a temporary joy? Something that you think, if I could just get that, then I'll have Christmas joy. Jesus is reminding us today, it's only found in one place. It's in the Christ child. Thirdly, 
Christ came near for his own joy. You've got to follow me with this one. See, Isaiah describes a God who not only gives joy, but a God who experiences joy himself. Listen to Isaiah 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isaiah is painting a picture of when God's salvation comes through this future Messiah and the acts of God, that God rejoices over you experiencing his joy. Let that sink in. God's joy is connected to your joy found in him. God is like a joyful groom gazing at his beautiful bride. That's you when you say yes to Jesus. God gazes at you like that. And then listen to these words of Zephaniah 3.17, especially you musicians. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Oh, our God is a singer. And why is he singing? You, knowing him. You knowing his joy fills even fuller God's joy. And then John 15, Jesus tells his disciples his desire is that they would be filled with the same joy that he and the Father have. And the Old Testament and New Testament confirm this, that God is joyful and has the capacity for joy. Now, certainly God doesn't rejoice when we sin, but Luke 15 also records this story about how Jesus and heaven rejoice every time people come to saving faith in Christ. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're someone who knows Jesus, you've confessed your sins and repented, when you said yes to Jesus, when you responded to God's initiation in you, they threw a party in heaven. They rejoiced. There was singing over you, repenting and putting your faith in Christ. God himself has a capacity for joy, and somehow his joy connects to you finding joy in him. In fact, we know that from Hebrews 2.12, I, I, 12, I say this verse regularly. For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And so for Jesus, even taking the cross was joy. That Jesus knew there was a gap between a holy God and sinful humanity, and so he took the cross with joy because the thought that you... And I might join his eternal family forever. All the suffering was worth it. It was joy for Jesus. That we would say yes to this Christ child who would grow up and die on a cross and rise again. And as we put his faith in him, that means that we get to rise to new life. That we have a way back to God. And so for Jesus, it was joy. All the suffering. And so Christ came not only to give you joy, Christ came because it gave him joy to love you, to serve you, to forgive you, to embrace you. Christ came near so you would come near. Christ came near so you could experience joy. But Christ came near so that he would have joy in saving you, that you might 
find life. That's a joy that Isaiah predicts that could only come through this miraculous child born of a virgin, this wonderful counsel, this almighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, Isaiah 9 says. Do you know him? The one who comes near that you might know everlasting joy. Lastly, why did the Christ child come near? So that we would share the joy. Isaiah 9.3 says this, that you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is a picture, Isaiah predicts, when the Christ child comes of this joy emanating out like a harvest time, like the spoils of war being shared. It's a time of blessing. It's meant for many to enjoy. And that's what we read in Luke 2.10. It was a season of joy, the angels declare. And in verses 17 through 20, that the shepherds were filled with this awesomeness at the picture. And in verse 18, all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things because there was joy in this story, joy in the Christ coming. You see, the joy of heaven in many ways in this story spills over into earth. And the shepherds end this passage by returning home and reveling in the awe of their experience. You got to hear what we just saw. You got to hear what we just heard. It spilled over. Can you imagine the shepherds just kept this all to themselves and never told Luke the story or never told Mark the story, never told Matthew, never shared this amazing story? Can you imagine? They kept it a secret. See, the good news is meant to be shared. See, friends, I'll make it real simple for us. For we Christians who have experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus, because we've confessed our sins and we've asked Jesus to be Lord of our lives, we've responded to his initiation. It's simple. The good news is simply just meant to be shared. You're just telling someone else who's hungry where the bread is. That's all you're doing. I found bread. Do you need bread? Here it is. I found bread for you. It's very simple. We're simply beggars who found bread, telling other beggars where to find it. Hungry people telling other hungry people about the good news. See, the good news of Christmas calls us to come near and then to share. And the same God who sent Jesus is sending us out to simply share where the bread is. You know, some theologians actually think and kind of theorize that the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, there's such a perfect union of love in the Godhead, the one God in three persons, that this perfect love overflows, that this perfect love in the heavenly realms has overflowed to earth through the Christ child. Because perfect love always shares, perfect love overflows If you've experienced the love of Jesus in your life, if you know his peace, his salvation, his forgiveness, his hope, the most natural thing to do is for it to overflow in you through you to share to someone else. Jesus says this in John 15, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It is about joy overflowing in you to others. We need to pause for a minute. As we began the service as well, we pause here as well. We need to be aware in the midst of the season, we're talking about joy, 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 joy. A lot of times it doesn't feel that way, does it? 
We need to be aware of others right now who are not feeling a lot of joy. And even if they're Christians, not experiencing the love and the peace and the hope that's in Christ. Also for yourself, would you give yourself permission to reflect, maybe I'm not experiencing a lot of joy right now. This is a hard season for me in my life. I'm struggling. There's a pain that's happening in my life that's blocking my pathway to joy. So I want to give yourself a goal to allow yourself this Advent season to do something crazy, to grieve, to name something painful, and to say, Jesus, I need you to take this. This is a hard season for me. Allow yourself the space to grieve. Find yourself a friend to empathize with you, to simply listen, and then to pray with you, to pray for you. Will you allow yourself in the midst of the joy, 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 and the go, go, go of this season to allow yourself to say, Jesus, if I were real honest, I'm struggling in some areas. I need to experience your supernatural joy in the midst of some hardship. And then as you experience the comfort of the Lord, be that friend for someone else. Comfort them, empathize with them, listen to them, cry with them, pray with them. You know, instead of just saying to someone who tells you they have something, a need to pray about, and we always say, I will be praying for you. I do the same thing. I want to challenge you this week, sometime this next week, actually pray for them right then and there. It sounds crazy, I know. But instead of only saying, I will pray for you, what if you just paused and he said, can I pray for you right now? Nine times out of tens, I promise you, no matter who it is, nine times out of ten, they'll say, sure. And then you just pray for them. I was just doing this. I was on a, a hike this last week with some new friends of mine. I just met someone, and I just asked what the person's doing for Christmas and shared some pretty deep, troubling things. And I said, I said, I will be praying for you. And I said, you know what? Would you mind if I just prayed for you right now with all these people around? And she said, sure. And we prayed right then and there. Maybe God, as God comforts you, as you share your pain to the Lord, and you invite a friend to share and to pray with you, would you do the same for someone else? And maybe God would just lead you as you listen, just maybe to listen sometimes, and maybe to pray right on the spot, or just be with them to bring God's joy as you share a listening ear. You know, God will use our everyday experiences. Even this next week, Lord, use us that you might use me as a conduit for your joy. You would fill in these broken places to give hope where people are struggling, to be light in dark places. Do that in me, Lord, and do that through me. God wants his joy to be shared. Would you come near to someone this week? You know, all this talk about joy, and again, some of us are struggling, know someone who's struggling. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Would you allow yourself this Advent to get some rest, to get some healing, to get some comfort from Jesus? And then as you see that verse and say, Lord, and give me someone this week that you will use me to bring your hope to. And we sang a song earlier in the service that Abby introduced to us. I just want to mention these words again, but the writer of the song, just so you know, wrote the song a year ago 
during Christmas, during Advent, she showed up in worship and they're singing all these amazing, joyful songs in her heart of hearts. And she's a worship leader. She's like, I just can't sing these songs. She just left the services broken. It was just too hard to sing such joyful songs. So she went home and started writing some words of how she really felt and then put it to melody. And what we sang earlier today, listen to these words again with that in mind. Oh, come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak, unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Oh, come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying. Come, see what your God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you. Oh, come, bitter and broken. Come, with fears unspoken. Come, taste of his perfect love. Oh, come, guilty and hiding ones. There's no need to run. See what your God has done. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. Friends, you might be facing some kind of loss or struggle or doubt, and I need you to know the word says the same as the song, you are not alone. Christ is born, Christ is born for you. You can come to him just as you are. You know, in the second advent, when Jesus returns in his full glory, these words await us, Revelation twenty two seventeen says. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This sounds a lot like Isaiah 55 that we spoke earlier today. Come, thirsty ones. He's coming back for the tired and the weary that he might bring the fullness of joy into your life. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, we thank you. The coming of you, the Christ child, you've brought joy already. And Lord, as we continue to worship you in song, we are reminded of the joy that truly is in you. And we are reminded as well, Lord, in our heart of hearts that some of us are struggling. There are difficult things in this world. There are difficult things in our family, difficult things in our work difficult things physically, Lord, would you bring your comfort for us weary and heavy laden ones? And Lord, would you use us to bring your comfort and be a conduit of joy for those who are struggling to experience your joy this week? Oh Lord, we know we can't manufacture this. We know it comes only from you. And to reveal to us your goodness, your kindness overflowing in us, and then, of course, through us to others. We ask this in your name. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.